shining a beacon on the bazaar. Views are nice today, mate. Nice blue sky, crispy it is, crispy for a beach. It's walk. lovely, isn't it? I love it. I love it. a nice clear day on Crack and Cove. There's nothing quite like it. Oh no. See, just gone out, we could find all sorts of goodies yeah. and all the flotsam and jetsam and all the crisp packets and compounds. <laughs> all sorts of Everything your heart could <laughs> desire. Washed up on the shore of Crack and Cove. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's yeah, over here? We've got, uncle yeah, we've got a few fossils kicking about, some nice shells there. Oh, look, yeah. they're nice, aren't they? Oh, crabs like, look at that big crab's like, oh, crab's claw, should I say? Yeah, that's, that's a whopper. Yeah, beast, I'm not going to eat you that, though. We don't be eating out like that, you get the shits, won't yeah, you? Yeah, what? What's past that seaweed there? And, oh, look at that! What is it? What is it? It's a, a, a message in a bottle. Oh, that's classic, Ooh. isn't it? Oh. Yeah, have a look, kid. That's that's a proper old green bottle. Right, give, give it here. Let me get that cork out. I've got, got my little yeah. screwdriver here. It's be a little um, Swiss oh, Army knife. Yeah, something's inside. Oh God! Imagine if it's a treasure map, kid. <gasps> oh, I've always wanted it's a treasure map. Oh, it might be like a long lost oh, message from somebody who's uh, on an island somewhere. Might need rescue. We might have to get the little yacht out <laughs> and, and go get him. Yeah. Right, let me get the top off. Here it comes. Here it comes. Oh, it ate off. Right. Well, <laughs> nice place. There's a little roll in here. Let's unroll this and, and let's have a quick look. And, oh. It's yellow parchment yeah. in here as well. Yeah, but look. What is it? What is it? Is it no, treasure? No, just a drawing of cock and bollocks, mate. Uh, it's done by a proper quill, though. That's all. Oh, That's like so we've got some detail into it. Look how vain it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that helmet. Jeez. I might take that on my frame, that though. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> tell you what, it's, it is classily yeah, done. You know. It's the oldest I've ever yeah, seen. The, one of the, maybe it's the first example of, uh, of a drawing of cock and bollocks just to sort of like get us something, you know. <laughs> well, I have seen one on the, you know, that cave art, Aborigine cave art before, big cock and balls, so I don't think it's the earliest. <laughs> they started it, it's the Australians started it. <laughs> It's nice how we've got back into uh, back into the lighthouse and having a nice hot cup of tea, isn't it? This is all right. Yeah. Oh, a steamy cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah after those great finds, yeah. crisp packets, condoms, and cocks and yeah. balls. Yeah, all, all the good <laughs> things. Because this is Crack and Cove, the podcast that shines a beacon onto the bazaar. And I'm Matt. And I'm Bueni. <laughs> it's Bueni. So yeah, we're gonna. What, I'm gonna cast my light out. We're gonna find some nice little stories from across the world and beyond. I think you know. Oh, I hope so. Because January shit and February shit. So cheer us up, Parky. Yeah, I know. Fucking bleak, it is bleak, isn't it? You know, so what we need is something that's, something that's like a strange phenomena to be occurring, don't Ooh, we? Please, you know. So we're going to be looking at the US to start with here today. That is a strange phenomena. Just the, the whole country itself, I think that's gone tits. Well, it's actually quite a nice thing in a way now because there's no more Trump, uh, or to, to sort of like, well, there's no more Trump. I have heard that Trump has sacked his lawyers before he's going to court, aren't they? Which is the classic psychopath move. Is that? Well, I've just read it today that he's, he's hiring the dude that we're going to um, um, be like the lawyer for Epstein. <laughs> it's like, oh. Really? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Classic. Go sleazy early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, we're going to look at we're going to look at nature. I think that's a good thing you can do it. So this, what we've got here, this is a story by Oliver Millman from The Guardian, and it says, A Remarkable Phenomenon. Billions of cicadas are set to emerge across this eastern US, right? So do you know what cicadas? Do you know what a cicada is? We haven't mentioned them before, we're the ones with weird life cycle That's what we have, yeah. Set. But we we have we have uh. we have mentioned them before. We've looked into cicadas a little bit before. But now for the first time in nearly seventeen years, there's like almost like a swarming where it's not just one species. There's a few sort of species. They're called, these are called periodic cicadas, right? And the, yeah. the, the bugs with strikingly red eyes, black bodies, and orange wings, and and the burrow and the stairs are grub for like absolutely ages. But what they often do is they have like different emerging periods. You know what I mean? So like, say, well, some emerge yeah. after four years, some after ten, some after seventeen, and um, but this time there's going to be like an overlapping of species erupting. 
Wow. Which means there's not just going to be like a few hundred million. There's going to be billions of them coming out. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice, nice with plague of locusts and shit. In yeah, it, that's we? exactly well, right. That's a good sign. Yeah, that's it. So, the, the last <laughs> such event for 15 states, including New York, Ohio, Illinois, and Georgia, it occurred in 2004. And the cicadas emerge in a 17-year cycle, these ones do, you know. Uh, and, yeah. and they will appear this year once temperatures are warm enough. So it's expected to be about mid-May. And they may amass in millions in parks, woods, neighbourhoods, and can seemingly be everywhere. So it's like, you know, they're not, they're not dangerous. But the thing is, yeah. animals eat them. Uh, but the overeat on them, so like dogs and stuff, just gorge on absolutely millions of cigars, and just get get sick on them. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> and we have played the song in the past. Actually, we have played the cicada song because it's this. I remember, yeah, yeah that droning. Yeah, yeah. So, but can you imagine the billions of them now? Can you imagine billions of cicadas at Cracking Cove just covering the lighthouse? Oh, no, I just could not they're a bit. You know, they're smelly as well, aren't they? They've got like an onk to them when you get loads of them together. They do. You know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're a sweaty bunch, aren't they? But what I can't uh, figure is that. I, 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 but no, they, I, you're right, they've got a nasty smell, haven't they? They've got a weird, weird sort mm. of insect alien smell. And I, that yeah. freaks me out. I don't like that. If you've ever gone like in a pet shop where they've got food for sort of like um, like spiders and things like this, and yeah. they have all the yeah. crickets in like a little, those little boxes, they just stink weird. But we've had it before even when we were in Thailand, you know, like here you kinda of lift some up having a nose, or you like lift a stone up and you'll you'll get some goodies, won't you? You know, yeah. if you find your little newt or something like that, you're over at moon. You like knock some over in Thailand about three hundred cockroaches come out and then that stench of cockroaches, oh, man. God, oh my man. god, they're fucking nasty. Well, well I can't figure out with the cicadas is people say, Oh, they're all gonna erupt, there's gonna be billions of them. But what I can't get my head around, right, is there's Billions of grub type cicadas underground. You know, like the, the first form yeah. of them. There must be billions of the grubs all just wriggling around close to the surface. Like alien or something. Yeah, just ready to ready hatch and shit. Yeah. Oh, God, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it's in the US. Enjoy it, guys. Yeah, they fucking earned it, you lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if you've noticed that the thing that's pissing me off at the moment is bloody dog shit everywhere, isn't it? <laughs> I know, again, it's like going back to the 80s, isn't it? Just like, how many fucking dog shits is there? Oh. What's going on? Well, the thing is, here as well, and Crack and Cove, there's nobody landing. We've got nobody nearby. We're in absolute isolation. <laughs> Next to a bloody great dog egg on beach still, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there's that much on normal land. They're just washing up, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. bloody hell. Well, the, what they're saying oh. is, apparently, it's, uh, the, the issue they've got is that everyone's bored during lockdown, right? And they're not buying dogs. So people are buying dogs, right? And then th there's a massive surge in dogs just being out and about. And so they're just shitting everywhere. And they can't oh. they can't get on top of how much shit there's going to be. But it's not just the shit. Yeah. It's about the black pop, the little black plastic bags that they get, you know, dog poo bags. That's plastic. It's like when you go down Canal and you just find a tree that's covered in dog poo bags, you know. It's just covered in black dog poo bags. You know, so it's picks like, it up, puts it in a bag, then throws it in a tree forever. Yeah, yeah, like, that's oh. it. What is, what is worse than a black bag full of shit hanging from a stick on a tree, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just like, what is wrong <laughs> with insane. people? At least a dog pool would actually, you know, it'll go eventually, what, with a bit of rain and all the rest of it. <laughs> it's in that bag fossilising forever, isn't it? I know, it? absolutely. Oh, does my pigging heading. But he's, he's become like a, like a toxic problem in the UK, probably a lot of other places as well, you know what I mean? It's a, yeah. Probably not South Korea, they, they won't be worried about stuff. <laughs> Just a fucking packed lunch for them, innit? The <laughs> <laughs> thing that gets me, though, you see, it's not going to be locked down forever, you know what I mean? Yeah. So everyone's going to go back to work eventually, poor dog's going to be left at home all the time, it's just, it's just not right. Just like idiots learning them. Well, yeah, well, that's that's going to be the case. It's going to be the case of what, what when everyone's at sort of like work. I mean, I used to work with a guy years ago, and he he, he said to me that he, he, oh yeah, I'm a bit lonely, so I got myself a dog. I thought that's great, and he started working twelve hour shifts. I says, what's happening with your dog? He oh. said, oh, just I keep the dog. It's okay. There's no not going to be any harm because I keep the dog in a crate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no! Twelve hour in a crate. 12, oh. That's it, and it's just and I I, I basically say. That's animal abuse, and if you don't do something about yeah. it, I'm going to shop you. You know, yeah, because uh, yeah, that dog's going to go insane. Yeah, 
this is it. And he, 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 he thought he were absolutely fine because he's such a fucking head case that he, he, yeah. while he wasn't looking at the dog, he thought the dog's fine. Because the dog's going to be well happy when you get home because you're letting yeah. out its pigging crate. <laughs> so it's been here for 12 hours chewing its paw off. Yeah. Oh, oh man, yeah. it is. You know, people. What, what about the dog nappers as well? That's gone up in world, hasn't it? It's, it's, a, it's the year of the dog napper. Well, I've heard pups this. Are getting stolen. I've yeah. heard this, but it, it's, it, there's a big fear around this as well, which I don't know. I think it's, it's a lot of it's a scaremongering. There's a lot of scaremongering because people mm. are saying, hey, look, I, I've, I found a cable tie uh, attached near my garden gate. Oh, I found a chalk mark by my path. Oh. And this is what people yeah. are saying. They're, they're worried now that these like robbers signals that hey there's a dog here you can come and steal it and I don't know how true is that it, is I don't think so because it's the old um, like you say the gentleman tramp thing wasn't it the chalk signs and stuff like that you know if you if you they used to beg at a house they used to put a sign on saying yeah you know yeah, very yeah, kind family I got some food and drink and some clothes or something they used to like mark it didn't they well I, I've heard that as well but it's, I've also heard it's like the, the travelling community you know these other people said oh yeah. you know we, if, or, or you know some are called as gypsies sort of said you know yeah. and they said like you're on, you know gypsies leave marks on your walls and I think well actually it's basically just sort of prejudice and racism and stuff like that yeah, but yeah. I think it's also the fear of the unknown so the idea like leaving these marks or finding a little chalk mark more often than not they're actually left by Gaspard and stuff like this you know what I mean or, or, <laughs> yeah. or your BT guy who's thinking oh yeah we need to sort of go this is where the, the uh, this is where the line runs and you just put a little chalk mark yeah. down. next thing you know people think the spaniel's going to get nicked <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what does a cock and ball mean <laughs> <laughs> talking about like the cicadas wriggling around in the ground weren't we and all that sort of stuff and funnily enough things yeah. like grubs and things they, they're quite good at coming out there they actually eat dog shit things like slugs and stuff they, I mean, it, but putting, putting the dog shit in a bag you know, it's, it's stopping the slug getting lunch isn't it you know yeah, yeah. but maybe nice. what we need is we need some sort of maybe some tougher sort of grubs and worms and things like that you know something a bit harder you know yeah so and this headline from um, Don uh, Dan Rabitsky, and it's some it's some from Hard Science. Is this? It says scientists melted ancient ice, and a long dead worm wriggled out. Oh, <laughs> right, pale and anemic looking. Yeah. Uh, so it's like suspended animation in the ice. Well, let's find out here. It says when a team of biologists melted some Siberian permafrost to look for microbes, an ancient survivor waved hello. Oh, so on University of Tennessee microbiologist Tatiana Vishnevetskia's Petri dish sat a small pile of nematodes, right, which are half millimetre long roundworms, and they sprang back to life as the Ice Age era frost melted away around them, right, according to the Washington Post. So the against-all-odds survival story may suggest that life could survive extreme conditions, including those on other planets. Now, these, mm. these worms are thinking... Do you know how old they think these worms are, right? Millions, what? Well, no, not from the Ice Age. But even so, these are 41,000 years old, right? Right. So they survived 41,000 years. What they're saying here is that they've survived 41,000 years. They've no idea what the upper limit may be. Yeah, so, yeah. so what they call these creatures, you see, these, they call them extremophiles, these um, sort of like creatures which can survive in all sorts of mad conditions and things. The most famous extremophile is the tardigrade or the uh, water bears, also known as moss piglets. <laughs> oh, even water bears are good enough. Yeah, <laughs> moss piglets. But there are just nails of these things, you see, as well. Because did you know that the, the issue is the Chinese actually took some into space to sort of see what they could, um, what they could sort of stand, you know what I mean? But then yeah. they lost control of the, the ship that this thing was on, this craft that these little things were on, these extremophiles, the, the moss piglets, accidentally mm. crashed it into the moon. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so they've crashed these moss piglets which can stand anything into the moon so oh, there's a very good chance God. now that the only living inhabitants of the moon are moss piglets 
Oh, oh well done, China again. Can you imagine that? Like, <laughs> just living his fucking... time. Yeah. <laughs> well done, China again. <laughs> <laughs> what a fuck up! <laughs> you know, you just seeded the moon now. You just fucking plagued the earth. But it does show though that life can sort of survive anyway. So we've got like you know the the tardigrades there. They can they can stand space and everything. And you've got these these worms, these nematodes, which have come can sort of stand time. Yeah. But these um. There's different types of these things, extremophiles. Now, uh, we've got a little list here. So we've got uh, acidophiles, right, which can obviously stand acid, which is uh, yeah. pH levels of three or below. So these things are living and literally acid that will burn your face off. Jesus. Right? Uh, and there's also the opposite of that. It's the alkalophile, which can stand sort of like caustic, you know, so that's nine and above of pH levels, which, again, would burn your fa- face off, you know. Yeah. So there's, um, there's certain... There's certain Ones that can stand not having any oxygen whatsoever, you know. Um, these yeah. ones that can survive in uh, microscopic spaces. These tiny little things have looked in rocks where these, you know, just looked tiny. And, oh, they said, oh, there's a tiny little crack in that rock using super powerful microscopes. Looked yeah. in, and there's these things called cryptoendoliths are actually living in these tiny little cracks and stuff, but even they don't know how far down they can survive. So they've sort of dug down to stupendous depths. And found yeah, yeah, yeah. cryptoendoliths living in these little cracks and spaces. So life could oh. go technically could go all the way down to the centre of the earth, you know. Oh, that's it because they're in lava tubes and there's no daylight and all sorts, isn't it? You just yeah. think of, we really don't know, do we? No, you just Morlocks and all sorts. <laughs> down there. Well, can you imagine that? Can you imagine if we eventually did just broke into this cave and then these creatures just came out? You know, oh. they've been down there from right. <laughs> Riding moss piglets, <laughs> giant moss piglets, just riding them along, <laughs> charging out. <laughs> oh, Christ, <laughs> it wouldn't even be that weird, would it? Now you know what I mean. Which is like, no, it wouldn't. Though, that's it. We found there, we found creatures that can survive in all kinds of conditions, but we know of a creature that's not doing right well at the moment, and do you want to know who that is? Creatures not doing right yeah. well, well, quite a lot of them, isn't there, really? But go on, you know, lions, tigers, and bears, probably. But yeah, yeah well, it's us, it's humans. Oh. <laughs> We're a bit shit. <laughs> That's all we are. I don't know, there's enough of us, isn't there? But go on, yeah. Well, the thing is, it is, but it's um, the, the headline here from Cal Flynn for The Guardian it says, As birth rates fall, animals prowl in our abandoned ghost villages. Ooh. Right. So human populations are set to decline in countries from Asia to Europe, and an unusual form of rewilding is taking place. For many years, it seems that overpopulation was the looming crisis of our age. I mean, back in 1968, the Stanford biologists Paul and Anne Ehrlich infamously predicted that millions would soon starve to death in their best-selling, doomsaying book, The Population Bomb. But since then, neo-Malthusian rumblings of imminent disaster have been a continual refrain in certain sections of the environmental movement. Fears that we were recently given voice in David Attenborough's documentary Life on Our Planet. So they're sort of saying, you know, the what the thinking was that we're just going to keep growing and growing and growing, you know, like the mad populations of rats or rabbits. Yeah. And then they just have a massive sort of like dieback of billions because we're all going to starve. But it's not yeah. kind of happening like that because of sort of fertility rates dropping and people basically just not having kids. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so popular now. You know, with just people I know, you know, a load of young uh, people are just saying, nah, nah, we'll go out, but we're definitely not, you know, um, having kids together, like, getting a dog, you know. <laughs> well, this is it, this is what's happening. But, but the thing is, as well, with those that sort of thinking sometimes, there's, always, there's almost like a, um, a sort of spring back because it's it, it's not fashionable among sort of rich sort of uh, intellectuals to have loads and loads of kids they sort of like have as you say they either have no kids or have one child or you know or you know like say just don't, don't have the kids or anything like that but they're saying the argument always been oh well if you look at poor people poor people are just popping kids out left right and centre all the time they think nothing of having eight and nine kids and that's been yeah. that's been like a popular well it is actually a little bit of a myth in a way a way as well so they're saying oh stupid people 
have lots and lots of children and therefore there's going to be more stupid people about because they're the people who are breeding which is a, which is a terrible terrible slur on you know on, on, the, on the class system yeah well this is where they start talking about like eugenics you see it all bounces back into eugenics there was, there was a there was a thought process amongst people who had been uh, amongst in Mensa yeah. there was in the Mensa magazine there was sort of discussions of saying well actually we should start having more kids and we us together us geniuses should breed more and create almost like a breeding program they discussed it in the Mensa magazine but what they didn't realize they were basically discussing eugenics which is absolutely awful yeah. uh, that's yeah. you know eugenics is basically like you say it's 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 creating ways that uh, it's, a, it's a school of thought that discusses oh well we should have it very intelligent people should all breed certain sort of very healthy suitors to create almost like to create supermen which was it's like Hitler, isn't it? Basically, yeah, yeah. that's why you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. From, you know that's what it comes down to. Yeah, to go all blonde in that. Yeah, well, he, I mean, he, he had he had his master race, which was, or he wanted to create the master race, which was known as Herrenvolk, and anyone who was like like a subhuman was known as Untermensch. And and so that sort of that was the thinking there. But what's happening now in in like in the UK, the West, and stuff like this, you know, is the fact just people just aren't having as many kids. So contraception, that's a massive one. I, I read about it the other day saying that, like in you know, fifty to a hundred years time, uh, Africa's gonna be like a really dominating force uh, of work and yeah. uh, economics. You know what I mean? Because you're just a little bit behind us on the contraception. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, it's not that available, and it ain't part of the um, you know everyday living like it is for us. You know, like in West. Because um, we will get more stunted and stunted as workforce will get smaller and smaller, and we'll be depending on countries like Africa to you know to do you know like the the massive jobs that need doing. Yeah. You know what I mean, you think, oh, right, I can see it. Well, the thing, that's that's absolutely true. Is that I mean, people, Africa is just gonna it's gonna sort of become the big powerhouse. But the issue mm. that you have with it, and which is a big big problem, is that China is investing vastly in Africa. They're I've literally heard yeah, that. yeah yeah. So I've heard that yeah from. A couple of um, seaworthy reps that I've met, you know, <laughs> so that you can't go anywhere in Africa without like loads of Chinese people like, yeah. owning it or milling about. So I think they, they recognise they've sort of stolen a march in a weird way and rather than actually just letting Africa, you know, get to its feet and do its thing. I'm not like it's, it's on its knees yeah. or anything, it's, it's, it's an amazing yeah, place yeah. in itself, is Africa. It has, yeah. obviously has, has got its problems, but mass, it's yeah. so massive you can't say, oh, Africa is this, that, or the other. It's too, yeah. it's too, <laughs> big, to, it's too big to generalise, you know what I mean? It's just yeah, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> it is all things, you know. But I think as a, yeah. as a continent, it's it's got its chance to be the the world leader, you know. Massively, but yeah. yeah. So anyway, back to the birth rates falling, sort of thing, you know. So at the time the Ehrlichs were publishing their dark prophecies, the world was at its peak of population growth, which at that point was increasing at a rate of two point one percent a year. But um, but since then the global population has ballooned from 3.5 billion to 7.67 billion people, so that's oh, mental. Goodness. But the growth has slowed and it's considerably slower, as women's because yeah. of a magazine called Readers' Wives. <laughs> <laughs> Men are just losing their custard all over the place and not putting it where it should be, which is a vagina. <laughs> losing the custard. Sorry. <laughs> so, so, so as, as women's empowerment advances and access to contraception improves, as you said, so birth rates around the world are stuttering and stalling. And in many countries now, there are fewer than 2.1 children per woman, um, the minimum level required to maintain a stable population. And fertility rates have been a problem in the world's wealthiest nations, uh, notably in Japan and Germany. For some, I didn't know that yeah. about uh, Germany. Germany are struggling with the old population and fertility rates. Yeah, I've never rates. heard it with Germany. Yeah, I've heard it for, It's been a while with uh, Japan, hasn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause, like, the, the old people out where the young people yeah. there's all sorts of trouble within. But Germany, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it's, it's, but they're also saying in South Korea last year, birth rates fell to 0.84 per woman. So that's less than a one child per household sort of thing. You know. I mean, yeah, it's just little half kids laying about, and yeah, <laughs> just no leg. <laughs> but yes, I mean, I think so. From next year, cash bonuses of two million won, which is uh, one thousand three hundred twenty pounds, will be paid to every couple 
expecting a child on top of existing child benefits. So basically paying people to have kids. So it's a bit uh, scary, isn't it? You know, it is. It's weird. And like you say, you wouldn't have ever um, uh, planned for that. Like you said, you just think it's going to spiral out of control, and it's suddenly going the other way. That's right. Yeah. Wow. So there's, you know, but the, the thing is, you see, what's happening is that when people aren't in places, other things are actually moving in to sort of like uh, into sort of these areas. So what's actually occurring is, um, what does population look uh, decline look like on the ground so the experience of japan a country that has shown its uh, this trend for more than a decade offers some insight and already there are too few people to fill all its houses so one in every eight homes in japan lies empty and they call these vacant buildings akia or ghost homes <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's it. So it's like even things like so the, what the findings like uh, farmers' fields, uh, whole areas, even whole towns are just sort of like being neglected. So as the population declines, you see old fields and neglected gardens are reclaimed by wildlife, and sightings of Asian black bears have been growing increasingly common in recent years, as the animals scavenge unharvested nuts and fruits as they ripen on the bough. So, of course, we've got things like orchards and uh, you've got, like, fruit fields and things like this, which have just been left abandoned now. And, of course, they're very, they're very fertile. They're full of lots and lots of food. So this is how, like, nature is bouncing back, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? So closer to home in the EU, an area the size of Italy is expected to be abandoned by 2030. So that's only nine wow. years' time. So Spain is among the European countries expecting to lose more than half its population by the year 2100. And already, three-quarters of Spanish municipalities are in decline. So they're really going downhill, right? True. So uh, picturesque Galicia and Castilla y León uh, are among the regions most affected as entire settlements have gradually emptied of their residents. And these more than 3,000 ghost villages now haunt the hills, standing in various states of dereliction. Mark Adkinson, <laughs> a, a, a British expat who runs the estate agency Galician Country Homes, told the Observer that he's identified more than 1,000 abandoned villages. Can you meet, wow. imagine that? 1,000 abandoned villages. So, I'm imagining that, Arkin, but all wrong. I'm imagining black bears living next door <laughs> to Mr. Wolf. <laughs> There's a pack of dogs living on me. You know, they're all full of animals and that. And they're all, like, getting on together and that. People don't know it. They just, they just, there's a lot of pigs down the street. They just... Yeah. But they're all, like, chilled together and that. Yeah, working like, in fields. Oh, you think it's like Animal Crossing, isn't it, for you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've stop fucking playing it. <laughs> So, but um, so as in Japan, uh, nature is already stepping into the breach. So, according to uh, Jose Benayas, a professor of ecology at Madrid's University, right, uh, Spain's forests have tripled in area since 1900, expanding from eight percent to cover 25 percent of the territory. Right. So, I mean, that's another thing that's amazing. So, the forests are coming back. It's not just the animals; it's the whole lot. Creatures are going to bounce back. And I think that's that's a that's a really really popular like, yeah. good thing in it, you know. That's it. I love it. Yeah. And that whole chain starts again, doesn't it? Which is great. Well, the chain has started again because what they're saying is, especially in Spain, there's been a massive resurgence in large carnivores. In fact, this is all across Europe, right? Lynx, yeah. wolverines, brown bears, and wolves have all increased their populations over the last decade. So even the Iberian wolf, which was really really sort of like endangered. Uh, it's come back from 400 individuals to more than 2,000 now, many of which are found haunting the ghost villages of Galicia as they hunt wild boar and roe deer, right? <laughs> and a brown bear was spotted in Galicia the last year for the first time in 150 years. So through these villages, as you said, there's wolves and bears just prowling the streets. But they're on the streets as well because the pigs and the, the deer are in those towns too. They're just kind of just strolling around. <laughs> now, if you think about it as well, during like lockdown, we had that same sort of thing where sheep and goats and all sorts of stuff were wandering yeah. into our towns, weren't they? You know, even deer, yeah, deer were spotted. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. As soon as we piss off, nature's just waiting. It's just waiting in the wings yeah. to have a lot of fun on its own. You know, I think that. I think that's. Cool. It's cool, especially like 
everybody's kind of like gone city living, aren't they? You know, they've gone away from rural into the city, so you're right. You know, you're not going to like abandon the city part when it's so, you know, yeah. that's where the jobs are and stuff. It's going to be those. It's just think, wow, it's going to be like gated community, you know, cities where you can't go out. It's just going to be like some planet apes. Oh, no, that's it. <laughs> I, just, I just want to, that's the way I want to go on holiday now. I just want to go to one of those abandoned villages and stay there for a month yeah, and right. just sort of like oh, make sure yeah. your door's locked on an evening and then go on your balcony yeah. with a bottle of wine and just watch the animals yeah, creep out. Red you. light lanes, <clears throat> yeah, man. That would be it'd cool, wouldn't it? When we tax the road once more for the planting and the purling and the berry fields of blur, we'll meet up with our kinfolk from all the world around. When the gang of bird folk take the road and yellows on the broom. When yellows on the broom. When yellows on the broom. And I'll get you on the road again. When yellows on the broom. So yeah, so people people there aren't having babies, you know what I mean? It's uh, and the animals and wildlife are taking over. But there was a bit of a, a different phenomenon back in the nineties, right, in Russia. And it was sort of maybe it was a birth, who knows? So let's explore Alyoshenka, the Kishtim dwarf, the alien from outer space, right? So this is by <laughs> Lara Wilson for Mysteries Unsolved. And she says in the mid-90s, in the vicinity of the city of Kishtim, a mysterious creature appeared, the origin of which still cannot be explained by any of the numerous versions. There are many blank spots in this story. The events have already been overgrown with numerous rumours and speculation, and some eyewitnesses to the strange phenomena refuse to give interviews. The stories of others are frank inventions. But it all started with one curious document of an unseen yet very real baby called Alyoshenka. So one day in 1996, Tamara Prozverina, 74 years old, living in the village of Kalinovo in Kishtim district of uh, Chelyabinsk region, so this is 1,764 kilometres east of Moscow, right? Yeah, it's crazy in it, Russia. Yeah, You've got like eight different time zones and it's stuff. It's fucking mental, you know. Yeah, yeah. So she was, she found Alyoshenka in a pile of sand on the night when there was a strong thunderstorm. So that day, the small Ural region city of Kishtim witnessed the bizarre scene. Prosverina was walking down the street with something covered in a blanket, and was talking to it. Bringing her find home, the old retired woman began to consider Alyoshenka her son and kept him swaddled in. She was telling us, it's my baby, Alexei, which is short for Alyoshenka, but she never showed it, the locals recalled. Prosverina actually had a, had a son called Alexei, but he was grown up and in 1996 he was doing time for theft. So he was in jail, was that Alexei, you know? <laughs> yeah, she'd forgotten about that yeah. one. Brushed under the carpet. So they... So the, Babushka. Yeah, well, exactly. So, but they all, so they all decided that the woman had gone nuts, talking to a toy, thinking of it as her son. So it's almost yeah. like as if it had broken her heart that uh, Alexei was in jail and she kind of lost her marbles, poor lass, you know? Yeah, yeah. But that stormy night, Tamara Prosverina uh, went on a walk to fetch some water. And what she found on that walk has confused people from all over the world. Now, she did have mental health issues. Um, several months later, she was sent to a clinic to be treated for schizophrenia. But the thing in the blanket was not a toy, but it was a living creature that she had found in the woods near a well, right? So those who saw Alyoshenka described it as a 20 to 25 centimetre tall humanoid. And they described it as having a brown body, no hair, big protruding eyes, moving its tiny lips, making squeaky sounds. Uh, and that that grew up to be Vladimir Putin. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he came from, the little sprout. <laughs> the little sprout. <laughs> but they're saying, um, according, and this was that was according to Tamara Naumova, Prosverina's friend, who had seen Alyoshenka in her apartment, and who later told Pravda, his onion-shaped head didn't look human at all. 
Oh. What are you shaking? Yeah. Oh. His mouth was red and round, and he was looking at us, said another witness. And this is her daughter-in-law, Prosverina's daughter-in-law. So according to her, the woman was feeding the strange baby with cottage cheese and condensed milk. Oh, bloody hell. Yeah, the daughter-in-law says, he looked sad. I felt pain while looking at him. Which is oh. horrible. Oh, it is. This is, all, this is really yeah. dark. <laughs> yeah, so accounts by locals differ. So for instance, Vyacheslav Nagovsky mentioned that the dwarf was hairy and had blue eyes so Nina Glazrina, Prosverina's other friend, so she's got two friends, she's doing alright, no, yeah, he yeah. said it was, uh, uh, he was standing near the bed with big eyes and he, she also mentioned hair so it's like hairy, but others said the humanoid was hairless, so the only thing people agree on was that Alyushenka looked like a real alien and on the other hand testimonies of people like Nagovsky and Glazrina are, are dubious both were drunkards, <laughs> as <laughs> as were most of other Posverina's friends, and they all day later died of alcoholism. That's, That's a fun place, <laughs> isn't it? It's a right, right laugh, you know. <laughs> Booze and cottage cheese. <laughs> <laughs> They're not a party these lot, don't they, you know? <laughs> so the saying Andrei Loshka, who made the film The Kishtim Dwarf, quoted the locals, perhaps Alyushenko was an extraterrestrial humanoid, but in this case he made a mistake landing in Kishtim. And it sounds about true. The city, with a population of 37,000, is not exactly paradise. Even taking into account the, the local alcoholics. So, 1957, Kishtim faced the first nuclear disaster in Soviet history. Plutonium exploded at Mayak, the nearby secret nuclear power station, throwing the 160-ton concrete lid into the air. Oh, it, it's the it's it's third most serious uh, nuclear accident behind Fukushima in 2011 and Chernobyl in uh, 1986, and the region and atmosphere were seriously polluted. Sometimes fishermen catch fish with no eyes or fins, Loshak oh. said. So the theory that Alyushenko was a human mutant deformed by radiation was also a popular explanation. Yeah. But one day the inevitable happened. Prosverina's neighbours called the hospital and doctors took her away. And she protested and wanted to stay with Alyushenka because without her, he would die. But how could I believe the words of a woman with acute schizophrenia? The local paramedic shrugged. And indeed, the Kishtim dwarf died with no one to feed him. Oh, God. And when asked why she didn't visit Alyushenka or call anyone, Prosverina's friend, Nomova, answered, well, god damn it, aren't you freaking geniuses? I wasn't in the village back then, right? So, she, <laughs> so this woman just feisty. Yeah, she just came right back at them, right? But when she did come back, the small creature had already died. And the most likely insane Prosverina was the only one to cry for him. So when Prosverina had gone, a friend found the body, right? And made some type of mummy. So they washed it in spirit and dried it. And that picture, do you want to have a look at your pic picture now? Oh, right, let me, let me get my parchment open. Not, not the one with the cock and bollocks on it, is it? Opening it. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God, it does look alien, though, doesn't it? What's with Ed? I know, he's fucking freaky, isn't it? It like a bloody it? onion to me. That ain't no onion. That's, like, so that's a proper alien, Ed. Yeah. That in it, bad, uh, yeah. So, Jesus. Vladimir Bendlin was the first person who tried to make sense of this story while being sober, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, as a local police officer, Bendlin confiscated Alyashenka's body from the thief. So, like, as some this this thief had stolen this this body and tried and made a mummy of it, right? And yeah. his boss, however, showed no interest in the case, nor did him to give up this nonsense. But Bendlin, whom Pravda ironically called Fox Mulder of the Urals, started his own investigation with Alyushenka kept in his fridge. Don't even ask what my wife told me about it, said she said grimly. So Bendlin failed to confirm or refute his extraterrestrial origins. Which of course he wouldn't, would you, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. A local pathologist said that the, the Alyushenka wasn't human. 
while a gynecologist claims uh, that it was just a child with terrible deformations. But mm. then Bendlin made a mistake. He handed the dwarf's body over to ufologists who took it away and never gave it back. Oh, that is so tight. That is so tight, yeah. So Alyashenka's body still hasn't been found, and it's unlikely to be. His mother, the pensioner Prosverina, died in 1999, hit by a truck in the dead of night. Right? (laughs) It's a tough place, this town, isn't it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And according to locals, she had been dancing on the highway. Oh. Wow, pissed up again or what? I don't know, just like you say, but most of those who had met him have also died. So some scientists, journalists, and even psychics argue about who or what he was, offering various bizarre versions from an alien to an ancient dwarf, so they just don't know. So in Kishtim, however... Oh, sorry, go on. No, just any details about... Was it a baby farm, like totally helpless kind of baby farm when it, when it was found and she grew it up a bit over a couple of years or a couple of weeks? I don't know. Something. He didn't really say how long she had it. But I think it was for a, for, for a while. I think it was a few years. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but serious experts remain sceptical. I mean, something akin to Alyoshenka, something looking like it, a humanoid mummy found in Atacama, Chile, has the same appearance but was proven in 2018 to be a human whose phenotype was caused by a rare gene mutation. Some, something that was previously unknown, right? So people thinking maybe that's what Kishtim was, the Kishtim dwarf was. Alyoshenka wasn't an alien, just like a, a sadly very mutated. Yeah. But in Kishtim, however, everybody still remembers him and his gloomy fate. The name Alexei is still now extremely unpopular in the city. Because who wants their child to be mocked as the Kishtim Dwarf in school? Oh, Isn't it weird? I mean, if you think of that, just the way it's taken off, the idea of this, this little creature um, that people thought might have been an alien that she sort of brought up. I mean, this is the 90s, this. This isn't talking about sort of 1940s yeah. or 50s or anything like that. This is like some mad radioactive backwater of Russia in the Urals, and this alien was there. I mean, wow! It just does my head in. He's, I'm more. I'm kind of away from the UFO bit to it. To be honest with you, more like the mutation, especially with that disaster happening in there. There and you know, I you know, fish with no eyes and all that sort of stuff. You think someone's given birth to a real ugly baby and just thought, you know what, I'm dumping it. Yeah. And she's been dancing on highway or whatever she does on a night and found it and like brought it home and. Can't believe this! You saying, and he, he can't take me away because it'll die. And they're like, no, get in the van, you know, yeah. so, and just let that little thing die on its own. Well, there's a weird God, condition. So there's, a, there's a weird condition which I find terrifying, and it's it's such a tragic condition, and it's called um, oh, that's something. It's called Harlequin ichthyosis, if I remember rightly, and it's this. It's almost like a skin condition where people the the skin is almost like when you're born and a kid's born. It's almost like the skin's inside out. It's just um, these these babies don't last very long at all. One one, one or two babies born with this condition uh, have survived into adulthood, but it's it's a horrible condition. And the children when they're born do look like aliens. They look like they've got these weird kind of red eyes, and they almost look like they've got like a little beak. You're like a little par- like a parrotfish. Oh. Everything looks weird on them, and it's just terrifying. I saw a picture of it on the internet. I'm just like, oh my god. But you know, it, this sounds like it, perhaps that's what this could have been. Maybe it could be harlequin ichthyosis, because uh, ichthyus it, it, it means like fish. It's like uh, so it makes yeah. people look like, like a fish human, uh, and fish boy. Yeah, little fish boys, and that's kind of a little bit what that sounds like. You know what I mean? It could have been something well, like a weird, as you say, little genetic mutation or something caused by radiation, and the poor little yeah. baby's being abandoned only to be sort of like retrieved by this poor sort of like uh, mentally unwell old lady you know sad story oh. isn't it it really is a sad story I can, <laughs> I'm going to stick I'm going to stick to my guns and say that little weird baby grew up to be Vladimir Putin <laughs> <laughs> sticking with it yeah that's it he grew up to be Vlad let's just say that then yeah yeah <laughs> I, I've been reading a bit about him recently you know you know all his bloody judo and him being rock hard and all that oh, yeah. sort of stuff it, a lot of it is a load of horse shit you know you know what I mean he's, he's made the myth of all that you know riding on horse with chest out yeah. and all that sort of stuff he won't like that for a lot of years you know what I mean he Quite a little pussy, uh, and hopefully he's going to get overthrown. <laughs> like looks of things, it's like stirring it up a bit. Oh, you know is it I mean? really? I, 
yeah, yeah, there's a, that bloke's kind of, that one who got poisoned. Oh, you, yeah. You heard Eaton News yeah, yeah. back, and they really are protesting. They want change in that country, and I really wish Russia the, the best to get yeah. off his iron-like grip, you know what I mean? Because I think he's a total tit. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is, he's, he's a dangerous person, he's a terrible despot. He's horrible, he's proper horrible. Yeah. I hate him. <laughs> well, on that bombshell. <laughs> So really, one of the saddest things about that uh, that story, I think, was the fact that everyone's getting shit faced all the time, aren't they? You know, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some really cheap vodka. And oh that. no, you've got to be careful. You know what I mean? It's like I, I don't know how it goes about. I think they must brew their own. I think people must be brewing their own for potatoes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like yeah, but, potato moonshine. Yeah, yeah but. Um, I think you need to stay clear of things like that. You know, you need to go on something a bit more fun, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So what we've got here is getting high with the most high. This is drugs in the Bible, right? <laughs> 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 and this is by uh, Danny Nemu uh, from AncientOrigins.net, which we've had a few little stories from them. I like him. I think they're quite good. Yeah. So as the Bronze Age grew old, some of its oral traditions were recorded by poets with gods in their quills and drugs in their gardens. The Odyssey and the Vedas include verses still recited today that describe psychoactive plants and their effects. But the most impressive stash is in the Bible. And I quote, Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with fresh and pleasant things, henna with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, cannabosum and cinnamon, all trees of frankincense, myrrh and agar wood with all the chief spices. Now, that might not make an awful lot of sense, might it? That sounds a bit confusing, you know? Yeah. But the Well, when they're talking about chief spices, it literally try to translate as head spices. So these are spices that mess with the mind. Ah. So, listed in this paradisiacal garden from the Songs of Solomon, Eight of these list things in that little thing I quoted there are identified, yeah. and seven of them are known to tweak the brain. <laughs> so both of the resinous gifts of the Magi, for example, which is frankincense and myrrh, are classed as tranquilizers today, right? <laughs> <laughs> they get little baby Jesus. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, if you think about it, it's almost like bringing. They're so expensive. It's like bringing the medicine. That's basically because yeah. these things as well being painkillers. You know, it's it's uh, so it's, it says here that the label doesn't do them justice. So myrrh targets mu and delta opioid receptors like opium, right? And frankincense contains dehydroabietic acid, which works on GABA receptors, which is like Valium. So we've basically been given opium and Valium in one big prezi there, and a load of gold as well. This is like a drug deal gone wrong, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it shows yeah. that people, you know, obviously pain was an issue, and it always has been a patient, an issue. Yeah. But we're, we're lucky we could just nip to the cupboard and get, you know, I don't know, paracetamol out, can't we? But in those yeah. days, you needed to sort of go to the source material, really, you know? Wow. So the mode of action of the receptors and therefore the resulting experience is quite different from Valium, but the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You can chew up about uh, the size of two peas to start with and go gently beyond that, because at some point your intestinal flora will be offended. So, um, so this person here says, I think frankincense is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely. It's lovely. But it can fuck with your guts as well, so it can probably give you the shits or something, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um but frankincense also contains insensol acetate, which works on the TRPV three ion channel. So I don't know what that is really. It's it's in the skin cells, it's involved with in temperature sensation so it's, it gives you sort of like warm tingles and rushes and things like that yeah, yeah. but it's also widely distributed in the brain where its function remains a mystery so whatever it does since at least the 16th century BC <laughs> people felt that it justified a 1,500 mile 6 month camel trek across ban bandit infested territory to get this stuff right so that's oh. what people gambled to sort of like get hold of it it's mad, yeah. you know. Right. 
Crikey. So, uh, other chief spices or head spices from the garden, right? It says, in Islamic jurisprudence, saffron is classed as one of the permissible drugs that can cause joy. So, you know, obviously, like the uh, the Islamic faith are very lucky. They've got to be very careful about what can be uh, used or taken. You're not allowed to drink alcohol or sort things like that. You know, you're not allowed to do that because it says it's a thing that can cause joy. So, saffron contains the GABA agonist saffronal, as well as saffrol, which is used in the manufacture of MDMA. <laughs> Right. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> so uh, it's uh, saffron is also found. Uh, saffron is also found in cinnamon, uh, along with eugenol, which is another MDMA precursor. Right. So uh, agar wood, which is in the Bible, is a sedative and analgesic. So that's sort of like a cream, like an unguent you can put on as a painkiller. Right. A uh, spikenard, which is oh, it's pronounced spikenard. Wow, that's an ointment rubbed on Jesus's feet. Right. Do you remember? I don't know when he was anointed with oil. He was rubbed on his oh, feet. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. They're always getting anointed by oil. They loved yeah. it. So they found it boosts neurotransmitters, including serotonin, dopamine, and GABA, and it's classed as a nootropic, meaning that it's, it assists in memory formation. Oh man, no wonder you see the angels and shit. You know what I mean? Well, he's off his tits. That, that, that could be easy. <laughs> so pomegranate is rich in serotonin, melatonin, and other tryptamines. Henna, which we all know, like you get little henna tattoos and stuff, mm. uh, is the only plant without any known psychoactive chemicals, which they talked about. But they, they're still thinking that the Bible might have known, or the people of the biblical time might have known things we don't. Mm. So this is actually from uh, Yahweh spake. So this is from the Bible here, this is from the Old Testament, and it says, Yahweh, which is the name for God, spoke unto mm. Moses, saying... Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and a sweet cinnamon half so much, even 250 shekels, and a carna bosom, about 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels. After the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil and him, and thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary. It shall be an holy anointment. Now this was from Exodus 30, chapters 23 to 5, right? Yeah. This was God basically giving Moses a recipe how to make holy oil, right? So the shekel is just like a measure. So he's, he's basically yeah, said, yeah. so take 500 shekels of myrrh, um, 250 shekels of cinnamon, uh, 250 shekels of cannabosum, and uh, 500 shekels of cassia. Stick it all in about seven litres of oil, and you've got yourself holy oil. Can you it's like breaking bad then, isn't it? You know what I mean? In the middle of a desert, he's stirring that shit up, he's Moses, and then he's knocking it out. No wonder he had that big gang after him and that, you know what I mean? It's mad, isn't it? <laughs> So the, the same, they've looked into this, and the combination of myrrh, cinnamon, and cassia contains a wide range psychoactive allyl benzenes, including myristicin, linalool, uh, elmacycin, loads of all these things, which I'm not going to go into. You know what I mean? Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they're basically making things like holy oils, adding things to them. Right now, one of the reasons that they think the holy oils are extremely important, it's not just a matter of like honouring somebody by washing their feet. They don't think it was like a, a a washing of feet with oil or anointing. What they're thinking is they actually included massage with these oils, right? Yeah. Now you probably more than anyone else know that um, you know you like a massage, our kid. <laughs> <laughs> but what what they're saying is they would put all sorts of things into these oils, massage them into the skin. But you've got to be very careful with massage because it kind of loosens things up, releases things in the body, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And it's the massage with the oils has a sort of like psychoactive kind of uh, reaction. That's what they're reckoning Cause you, with. Because you've got to absorb it as well, aren't you? you know, all over your body, you know what I mean? If, you, if you're rubbing that oil in, you, you, you're taking it into your body and, like I say, loosening everything up, isn't it? Yeah, well, you like this one. So this is, this is from the Bible, right? So it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and massaged him in the midst of his brethren, and the spirits of Yahweh came upon David from that day forward. <laughs> Mate, that sounds like, where did he put the horn? <laughs> you know, David watching or something? His oily horn. <laughs> <laughs> 
but then and this is actually evidence though you got look at all the, these the, all this stuff people were taking I mean they've got this here the stuff they're using um, the different drugs and things and basically even mm. like the high priests were getting involved and sort of like saying oh we'll burn these kind of incense here as you know remember at church you know you'd be burning incense yeah. well they were putting all sorts of stuff in that as well so you're in a priest <laughs> so you've basically been anointed by oil right which is getting you a bit high then they're burning all sorts yeah. of incense and stuff within the churches and next thing you know people start seeing gods and angels and miracles yeah so that's sure that's all religions come from modern religion is people getting up so they have to tits before and seeing all sorts of stuff and thinking it's totally real well i think that's looking like what it is the new the new already that these little things would sort of like have adjust adjust people's minds make them have visions mm. and sort of things and they, and sort of like push them in that direction so whether they're actually being are they being charlatans do they yeah. believe it themselves? I don't know, you see, because they might just be burning these things which they consider sacred and then they're having sort yeah. of like religious experiences because of it. Or them I think they're fully, you know, fully believing it, me. I think they were like, oh God, yeah, let's take more. This is ace. Angels yeah. are cool, man. Well, this is ace. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely true. But I mean, we've said before, like, you get the Rastafarians sort of smokes uh, marijuana and they see it as a sacrament, don't they? That's like a religious yeah, yeah. thing because they have a great experience. I think, fair play. If you're going to do it that way around, get yourself in your hammock, yeah. get your feet up, listen to a bit of Bob Marley and worship God. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, it's getting a bit late at Kraken Cove, our kid. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. Time for one more, our kid. Oh, there's there's always time for one more. You know that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've always got that stuff. And can you tell me, you might not know this, right? Do you know what animal has square poos, cube-shaped poos? <laughs> one with a square bum on. <laughs> I'm going to say... <laughs> right. Give us a, you say animal, yeah. don't you? I'm gonna say. Come on, mate. <laughs> an egg jog. An egg jog. <laughs> That's a good guess. It's a wombat. And, All right. And scientists solve the mystery of why wombats have cube shaped poo. And this is from Natasha May from The Guardian. And it says here How wombats produce their cube shaped poo has long been a biological puzzle. But now an international study has proved that the answer to this un- unusual natural phenomenon. So the cube shape is formed within the intestine, right? Not at the point of exit, because people thought <laughs> these little fucking these little wombats are just squeezing their arse in such a way that it's making a square turd, right? <laughs> <laughs> so there was speculation that the wombat had a square-shaped anal sphincter that the feces <laughs> get squeezed between the pelvic bones, right? <laughs> and they reckon that's nonsense, right? And But there's another theory, that the idea that the wombats, after they've done the shit, right, they just pat the feces into shape after they're depositing them. <laughs> <laughs> I love these kind of theories. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so the project originated four years ago when Carver was dissecting a, euth- a euthanised wombat hit by a car. Oh, and notice the cubes in the last metre of the wombat's intestine. But so Carver described that as an isn't that odd moment? That's what she described yeah. it, you know. <laughs> yeah. So the thing that is striking how do you produce cubes inside essentially a t- soft tube, right? So what they're thinking they're doing is the sort of what's actually happening is they're, as they're doing the shits, right? They're doing like a, a rhythmic contraction, sort of from the top, then from the sides, then from the top, then from the sides. That's the way it's yeah. kind of working, and it's kind of patting it into sort of shape to make a square. I think ours, where our sort of um, sort of stomach works, it kind of contracts in a sort of like a circular way. So it all sort yeah, of contracts yeah. at the same time, like you squeeze a sort of tube of toothpaste. Whereas yeah. the way their muscles work, it's sort of squeezed from the top, from the sides, from the top, from the sides. The result is square turds. What do you think of that? What, <laughs> what, what does it eat? Is it quite a fibrous like, um, diet? Or something? Yeah, I think it, it does make 
Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's basically when it comes out, it's it's, it's a herbivore. So it eats vegetables and you know. Yeah. I think it might eat a few insects and things like that as well along the way. It's not, it's not it's not like a, it's not carnivorous. You know what I mean? But yeah. it is. Uh, well, it kind of makes sense with something fibrous. You know, like it's a really hard poo. You know, to actually deliver. Yeah. So they've like they've come up with something really like unique to like e- really ease that puppy out. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. You know what I mean? Well, they're quite famous for their asses at wombats anyway. They, they've got this thick, really. Massive ass, and it's got like a big thick pad of sort of like a, a fleshy meat sort of thing, you know. Uh, and say, so for example, if a, if a carnivore's trying to get it, it kind of scurries into its hole and just sort of puts its ass to the back. And its ass is so thick and tough that the carnivore, the predator, can't get it, they can't get past the big fat ass that's sticking in the burrow, right? And it's also because it's used it as a weapon, its ass. Whereas like things like it's got in a burrow, like a fox has tried to get in after it. It's the, yeah. this footage of them actually crushing and killing foxes with their fat ass against the side of this hole. Give me what a way to go! What kind of footage that is? Yeah, my God. so it's, it's, it's basically it's a very much an ass orientated animal. Is the wombat? It's one of my favourites. Yeah. I love I love a wombat. I think they're really qu- quite yeah. cute and everything. But yeah, they've got square turds, and now they know how they've done it. Found the square turds. Big Fat asses, wowzers! <laughs> <laughs> what a tail! <laughs> what a tail! You know what I mean? So it's like so we've gone we've gone full circle. We've gone from uh, cock and bollocks at the start of the show to uh, to finish off with a massive ass. So yeah, it's, bit, yeah, it's, it's with, worked with out the all right. Phat ass, yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, the circle of life. The circle of life, exactly. I think I think it's time for us to go get a big fat pot of tea now, don't you? Because yeah, so, I like that, mate. Yeah, so it's going to be a big goodbye from Matt. And it's a bigger bye-bye from the Benny. <laughs> Take care, guys. See ya. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Cove. Either by email at podcast at gmail.com On Twitter at Cove, Or Instagram at Kraken Cove Pod. Ha ha!